Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 258. If you like Marvel Champions, the card game, try out these other games. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. So, Anthony, it looks like we're going back to the Marvel Universe. Yep, can't get away from it. It's there forever. uh, (laughs) People are like, it's this generation Star Wars. I'm like, I don't know about that. It might just be the next five generations Star Wars. (laughs) I don't know if that's a bigger condemnation on Star Wars or just society at large i'm not yeah sure (laughs) at this point it's hard to say i mean (laughs) but yeah no we're we're going back to it um i never went away from it obviously i mean i love this game so i'm excited to talk about it did you ever get a chance to play it no we do have somebody in our game group who has it but have not come to game night yet as you mentioned i heard a lot of good buzz about the game and i'm looking forward to playing it so you're gonna have to carry that part of the discussion but for our feature review, we'll be talking about other games like Marvel Champions, the card game. If, like me, you have not gotten a chance to play it, but you might have games in your collection that are like it or games out there that you might want to pick up that actually give you somewhat of the same feel, whether it's mechanics or just superheroes punching each other re- relentlessly throughout the game. But before we get into that, Anthony, let's get into our episode and let's start off with what's going on with BGA. You have something on the uh, agenda? Yeah, yeah, I mentioned this back at the beginning of the year. Um, we had like a, a question of the week back in November or December, I can't remember exactly when, about 10 by 10s and how to do them and how to process them. And I actually, myself and three other uh, gamers here in Pittsburgh put together a group 10 by 10 and actually I'll give all the credit to Michael because he actually put it together. <laughs> I just said, sure, it sounds good. Um, but we have a, a 10 by 10 going and we're actually so far doing it, which, you know, for new year's resolutions is pretty good when you get to the end of January and you're still working on it. So as of today, recording this, we're a tiny bit behind. We've gotten five plays in, but we do have a a couple more scheduled this week. So we should be on track by the end of the month. It's kind of an interesting take on gaming, though. It's kind of why I wanted to talk about it. And I figure, like, maybe do a quick update at the end of every month because it's a long-term thing. And more interestingly, at least from my side, is as you start to play games multiple times over a short period of time and especially for us because we don't typically do that as podcasters you can see like demonstrable improvement especially with the same players so like we've played brass birmingham three times already and like everybody's score has increased for the most part every single game like significantly (laughs) so it's kind of cool to see people just like wrap their heads around games in in slightly different ways as, as you progress so i'm interested to see how it goes you know a month two three four months from now and and where we're at Yeah, I think at the very least, what it does do is keep you away from that 20 to 30 minute argument about what game you're going to play, which seems to be its own mini meta game before the game. So it's like, hey, what do you want to play? I want to play this. Ah, I don't want to play it. I already played that. That's not an ideal player count. That's not the ideal group for this kind of thing. And then it just becomes more and more of a problematic kind of situation of trying to decide. So I guess if you could decide in advance, even if you're not doing a 10 by 10, but like made that decision 
that that was going to be the game of the day and just play that multiple times. I think that makes a lot more sense because the same game doesn't get out to the table at the same points. Like, oh, we played that. Let's play something different. Oh, we played that and something different. And then you almost have to keep relearning the rules to the game because it's always like a week or two in between you actually play that game again. Yeah. No, it's cool. Like it's, and obviously there's 10 games to choose from. So if we don't plan it out, there's been a few times we're like, well, which of these do we want to do? Uh, but there's only like four or five that are short enough to even have that conversation. Things like food chain or anachrony need to be scheduled. <laughs> like we have to like, all right, we need three or four hours in which to play this. So it needs to be a day on which we plan to play it, which is nice. It makes it a lot easier to just jump in. Everybody's ready to go. We're all refreshed on the rules and just dive in and play the game. Gotcha. Well, there is a lot of gaming to get to the table, so let's get into the episode, Anthony. What are our listeners doing? What's our question of the week? Yeah, question of the week this week is, what is a game you are a tireless advocate for? Hidden gems, out-of-print classics, or underrated games you feel nobody appreciates? So we've asked similar questions like this before, and so kind of going back a little bit onto some older games and some older responses as well from people who kind of answered similar questions in the past. We have quite a few games, though, that are... It's interesting, because the idea for this was... I saw a thread on Reddit recently of what games that you like should be in the top 100 that aren't, or in the top 500 that aren't. And I think everybody's got those, like, classic pet project games where it's like, this game is amazing, you all should play it. You all know that mine is Spirium. I talk about it all the time. And it's definitely not in the top 100. So it's one of those obscure games that not many people have played. So I, I you know, it's always fun to ask the listeners what fits their bill for that. Uh, we have a few responses. The Mistfall series, uh, Shane mentions that. And that's, he mentions that it has a really bad rule book. But if you get the Hearts of Mist, use its rules and treat the original as an expansion. It's actually a really great brain-burning treat. Sarah mentions Fields of Green which was the uh, farming-based remake of Among the Stars. We had several different people mention First Martians, which I think is fair because I personally also really like that game. And it, again, really bad rulebook, just sank it, sank it hard. <laughs> so a lot of people wrote that one off to the point where you could get $10, $15 copies not too long ago. Um, Damien mentions Elysium. He says it was a Kennerspiel nominee, but now it's criminally underrated. I would agree with that. It's a really good game that you don't see around very much. Uh, Chad mentions one of my personal under favorite underrated games, Tramways. Um, he says that his group is, they just can't handle stressful decisions. So uh, it seems like a, a good game to fit that bill. Uh, we have a few people mention games like Firefly, which I can see games like that because personally I don't enjoy those types of games, but I know a lot of people really do, which, you know, that kind of group dynamic makes it hard to get to the table. Uh, Abyss, Tiny Epic Galaxies, and Tiny Epic Western. People mentioned a few Tiny Epic games in general. So lots of good stuff. Like most of these answers are like, these are good games, but they're not like the games you hear about at the top and top of the list. So these are personal favorites from a lot of listeners. Yeah, I mean, those are typically what you need to do because the hotness is so hot these days and games only typically have a six-month shelf span or even, you know, you get them in for Kickstarter and like, let's get this played. And if you don't, it kind of gets left behind. So you need those advocates out there, certainly. Uh, probably for me, there's a bunch of games that I typically advocate for. Probably some of the top games that no one's probably ever heard of. 
Uh, I would say Dominaire. It's a game in the Tempest universe. It's an area control game, but you are building a tableau that triggers multiple times throughout the game, and that's a really nice push and pull type of game. And I, I really like to get that to the table. Revolution is another game that I, I like a lot, especially with its expansions. And that's a blind bidding game that you don't see a, in a lot of different formats. I know some people have some hard times because it is a little rough here and there as far as like being a little cutthroat or having to make the right decision. But it's a really solid kind of game. So, yeah, those are just two of the many games that are somewhat always around my collection and usually in my game bag. All right. So that's what's going on with our listeners. Let's get on to the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. What do you have for us, Anthony? Clash of Cultures. They did it. They're reprinting it. <laughs> it's happening. No. No. I own the base. And I've never played it because the expansion's out of print. And now you're going to make me rebuy the whole thing just so I can play with the expansion? Yep. I'm doing it too. So, jeez. Uh, <laughs> quick story on this one. Clash of Cultures came out, uh, I don't know, eight, nine years ago from Z-Man Games. And as Z-Man is known to do, they printed a relative few number of copies of Clash of Cultures and then released an expansion about a year later and printed even fewer copies of that to the point where if you want a copy now, you will be spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars. You were We were talking about this before the podcast and you tried to get me to guess how much it, the one copy <laughs> on Amazon cost and I yes. was way off. So we're talking 500 bucks. So someone out there thinks someone will pay $500 for that. And they are wrong. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I hope they're wrong. So um, so like you, I've never played this. I own a copy. Someone sold it to me at Gen Con a few years ago, like a flea market thing. And I love civilization games. This is considered one of the great civilization games. It's long. It's meaty. It's full of interesting ideas. But the original version of the game didn't have asymmetrical civilizations that you start with, which is kind of what you kind of need that in a Civ game, right? So it's fine, but not great. But it's one of those expansions that a lot of people consider essential to the game. And mm -hmm. yet they must have only printed a couple thousand copies of it because you cannot find it anywhere. Along comes Clash of Cultures Monumental Edition, which is a much uglier box probably way more expensive and it's for mm -hmm. these kids so yeah. not a lot of great things going for it but it does have the civilizations and aztecs expansion content in it so uh, <laughs> kind of have to get it right yeah you know uh, you know uh, yeah all right <laughs> and it comes with fully sculpted miniatures of the seven wonders hopefully they're yeah. not yeah I, 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 I just don't know what to say anymore about these things. It's 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 one of those situations where games come out that are either incomplete because of reasons, like sometimes there's something that's cut off the game in order to make it hit a certain sales point. Sometimes there is a correction that's made to the game, and that's what you know expansions come in as well. So sometimes it's for good reasons, sometimes maybe not so great reasons, but Overall, the expanses that come out, it's it's always really a hard shake to figure out if you should jump on and buy the expansion because it may not be there any longer. And obviously, Kickstarter has done a – I mean, I feel like a really 
problematic thing where now if you do want to buy the game, you have to buy literally every expansion and promo that comes with it because if you don't, you don't get it. But you never played the base game, so if you buy everything, then you have everything, which is not a bad thing. But at the same point, if you don't like the game, then it is a bad thing. So, uh, so yes, Clash of Cultures, I'm going to still hold out just a little bit more for hope that somebody has a reasonable copy of an expansion that I could pick up. Or maybe I will do the unthinkable and go back to one of our previous episodes and talk about maybe putting together a makeshift craft version of this because uh, I don't know. I just don't know anymore. They have to stop doing this. I buy games for a reason and then just like, hey, you bought that thing. Now buy it again. uh, All right. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But it's like you get that one little thing and you can't get it, right? No, I know. The Rococo Deluxe Edition is a perfect example of that. Yes. The game's out of print, but the expansion is super out of print. So. Yeah, there's a lot of things like that. Bruges is out like that. Speakerstadt was like that too. And they, they came out with Jorvik, which no one really liked, but it did include the expansion. So uh, I don't know. This is this is something that will have to be addressed at a later time because it's already full of uh, and, uh, and just general angst. And yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll circle around to this in the future and try to figure out what to do next. But let me talk about a game that's coming out that has not, at least at this point, been reprinted and reprinted again at a later point. And this game is called Amamater. So what you're looking at here is you are looking at a, looks to be a great game from Eggerspiel. They do a really great production. Unfortunately, a little bit high on the price tag. But nonetheless, very good production. And this is from the designers of Coimbra and Lorenzo Magnifico. So you have some really top-notch designers here and this game is all about playing the headmaster of one of the independent universities in the 15th century because of course 15th century players seek to strengthen their school's reputation and standing to achieve these goals players will need to recruit the best staff and students exchange knowledge with other schools and become experts in the four disciplines so again you got some top-notch designing talent here you have a top-notch company here. The me- mechanisms, well, it doesn't really say. It says unique gaming experience, but it doesn't really say what the mechanisms are. This is just brand new information that has come out. Alma Mater will debut at Gen Con 2020 this year, so obviously this is already going out there. So you'll be able to pick this up for pre-order at their web shop soon. So if, you know, if you love Coimbra, Lorenzo Manifico, and that is something that really kind of sits as part of your collections concerned, this might be a good addition to it. I did not know this existed. I didn't even know what this was when you put it on the spreadsheet. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm in, I'm in. You got, I love those two games. So all right. No information on here at all about what it does, but I'm in anyways. (laughs) We're such easy marks. I, I really, uh, I think that's really great about us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. All right. I got a new Alexander Fister game to the table. and what? I know. And it's not even the one that came out two months ago that has been sitting on my shelf for the better <laughs> part of the last quarter or so. It is Expedition to Newdale. So this is the board game version of Oh My Goods. And if that sounds strange or unnecessary you're not alone so a lot of people think that um oh my goods was a card game that came out 
I don't know, five or six years ago. And it was, as it sounds, a very small little deck box that came with 100 or so cards, and you could play the entire game with that one deck of cards. The problem with the game was it ramped up too quickly, ended too soon, didn't have enough variability, and really just relied on the random draw of the cards. There wasn't a lot you could do to mitigate that. So it was one of those games like, this is a really cool idea, the execution is not great. So I always liked it, but I couldn't get myself to love it. They released a couple of expansions for that that had like story content, added a solo mode, a campaign. You know, Alexander Fisher loves his campaigns. And those made it much, much better and quite enjoyable, actually. But still just felt like it was missing something. You just kind of hack things together just to make that system work properly. So fast forward a few years and you have Expedition to Newdale. So this game is uh, takes the core mechanic of Oh My Goods, which is the... You have all these different cards that represent different buildings um, that you're building in different towns throughout the countryside. And each of them has, you know, a cost, a production value, and then like all these different chains that they can produce. So you can produce goods by sending certain assistance there. You can produce goods by chaining other goods into there. You can produce good goods by, you know, combining other goods and producing them in that way. There's several different ways to do it, and they're all printed all over the cards. But you're basically building a tableau out of all that and attempting to run it as efficiently as possible to produce as many goods as you can and turn those goods into victory points in a variety of different ways. What the board game adds to that is a board where you are moving around and placing different buildings in different towns throughout the countryside uh, based on what you build. So anytime you build something, you will look at the different symbols on the map and on your card to see if you have a discount place a building within range of where you currently are, and if possible, take a bonus based on where you placed it. There's endgame scoring objectives based on where you build on the map. There's in-game scoring objectives based on certain types of goods that you need to have at the end of the game to sell. There are various other ways you can score as the game goes along. And really, like, it's funny because I really liked all the extra layers that the game added on because they contextualized what the cards do they rough you know smoothed out a few of the rough edges that the original card game had that just couldn't be fully removed with those expansions and it just gave me a little bit more puzzle to work with so i liked it quite a bit it was fun there was a lot to do there uh, the box comes with a ton of extra content so fister loves his campaigns and this one has a eight chapter campaign in it uh, which means you have six different boards. There's three of them, and they're each double-sided. And you'll move your way through those. So you have things like the base board is just, here's some towns, you're moving around, doing stuff. And then some of the boards have actions added to them. Some of them are on the ocean. All sorts of cool stuff you can kind of mix in there. The uh, personal player boards are different based on which campaign you run. And the placement spots for each of your buildings is a little bit different in terms of how you're going to power it and how many assistance you need and all that. Um, the press your luck element of Oh My Goods is still here. So when you decide you're going to produce something, you will commit to that with one of your action tokens and you're, someone's going to draw assistance out of the bag and you have to hope the right assistance come out to allow you to produce what you hope to produce. But there's a bunch of ways to mitigate that. So there's cards from your hand, there's certain abilities, there's a character card you start the game with that often helps out there. I really like how it kind of blends all that stuff together from all my goods and 
smooths out a lot of that in ways that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of. Um, there is some bloat, though, because he took a very simple card game and added a bunch of stuff to it. But I think it works, and it feels like a Fister game in a certain way, but at the same time doesn't really in other ways. You know, it's not the same as Mombasa or Great Western Trail or Maracaibo, but at the same time it kind of almost has that feel in, in how you manage your cards and build out your tableau. So I really like this quite a bit. I'm looking forward to playing more of it. Um, also have it set up right now, kind of run through some solo campaigning on it uh, just to see how it plays. And yeah, for me, it's a really strong play. I don't know if it's a full buy yet, just because I do have copy of Oh My Goods with all the expansions, which is half the price of this. But considering the price and the amount of content you get, and if you don't have all that other stuff for Oh My Goods, which can be hard to find, it might be worth checking out. So if you know somebody with a copy, I would I would track them down and give it a play. This is something I wanted to play too, as you mentioned. Oh My Goods was a small little game that was actually pretty fantastic and really you know flew underneath the radar. Not many people knew about it. Not many people picked it up. And again, it was a very reasonable price for everything you got along with the game. And it's pretty fantastic, actually. In fact, I think... I have a copy, and I think I even I forgot that it's actually part of my collection somewhere. I actually have to pull that out again. So I'm really glad that this came out. I'm really looking forward to play this. I don't have the expansion. I think that's, again, another one of those situations where since the game hasn't gotten a lot of you know table time, it's just kind of avoided my mind a little bit. But, yeah, I, I plan to pick up all of these things. I just feel like it does a really great job of what it's supposed to do, and I hope to get it to the table. All right, so I want to talk about some recent Kickstarters that came in that I've been looking forward to getting to the table. And basically both of them, or a vast majority of the parts that go along with them, are expansions. So first up, let me talk about Terraforming Mars Turmoil. This was a recent Kickstarter. And I was looking forward to this. I have almost everything for Terraforming Mars. I think somehow, I don't know, again, how I missed this. I think Prelude is the only expansion I don't have. And I'll tell you right off at the start, if you have not played with Prelude, you're missing out. Because I believe above and beyond all of the other expansions in the game, it's essential. I just think that it jumpstarts the game in the most perfect way possible. Absolutely, positively needs to be part of your collection. I've already talked about that. I think Anthony's talked about it too. And if you have played with Prelude, you're going to say the same thing. But Turmoil was something a little bit different. Basically, the whole premise of this was is that you had this terraforming committee board and these different committees were representing different factions. So it was your opportunity as your corporation to influence, to lobby these different areas in order to gain additional points or resources. And it did that by having delegates. So you got a chance to decide which of your delegates, either your free delegate and or you could pay to put other delegates out to get gain the majority in a certain area. So there's like a scientist area that benefits off science tags. There's a, uh, you know, just a Mars first faction that benefits off the buildings and so forth and so on. So there are six of these different areas and they all benefit basically off some tag in the game or final bonus terraforming kind of effect. And based on what your tableau is building, you want to go and influence in order to change the ruling policy. 
the ruling policy will determine that during that generation or round in the game, what will give you a bonus or what will kind of mess with things, so to speak. And as I mentioned earlier, typically there's going to be an end game kind of bonus that's going to give you like one money each. And not a big difference, but it's it's a thing. All of this is done in service of these global effect events. So you're going to get one event that you know that's going to come. It's current. And then there's going to be a coming event that you'll be able to see. And the rest of the deck will still be distant kind of events. This is very standard procedure for most board games that are just looking for another expansion to throw in there. Usually a global event deck is, as I said, it's just the kind of like the go-to situation. Obviously having the delegates and trying to control, you know, what bonuses come out and who the global events really hit is another thing completely. Now, if you play Terraforming Mars, obviously it depends on what combination of expansions or all expansions or just a prelude expansion, what you're playing with. Because the the variability of as far as the time is concerned, this game just is broad, right? It could be a relatively short game if everyone's terraforming and moving up the tracks. It could be a very long game if everyone's building tableaus. And the tableau building was the big problem in the very beginning because people were just maximizing their tableaus, not terraforming. And you ran into a game that was sometimes taking three to four hours. They went on to correct this with a rule change in which you had to move up a certain track. And obviously the prelude and such kind of added to that. So the game became more manageable. And in part because all of these expansions added more cards to that enormous deck, which was fun, but also infuriating because in order to get the combos that you really needed, you had to dig and sometimes you never even got those combos. So it became an ongoing problem to actually get this game to the table. But just because it should be a relatively medium weight game, it should take let's say two hours, maybe at tops, and then it was going way beyond that. So the turmoil expansion here, you know, with these kind of global events that are, I would say, more or less problematic are going to hurt you here and there, plus one particular rule that really messed with the gameplay, which was the terraforming that goes on the game is a revision here. So every generation, everyone's terraforming rating after they get their resources is going to drop. So now throughout the game, you are getting less points, you are getting less money throughout, and it's harder to purchase cards. Now, they say in the game you can take care of this by hitting the certain goals and getting the things, but that's not always possible. You know, everyone's running their own corporation, which typically needs a certain kind of resource or a certain kind of end goal. So everyone's fighting for their own thing. You're not typically getting additional money every round or every other round. And you're just you're you're bleeding money throughout the game and you're not getting those big constructions together. Plus, because it's slowing things down and because people are not terraforming and the tracks are not going up automatically, the game is a lot, lot longer. By the end of this game, I just wanted to go home and burn my copy. I was just that distraught with the fact these global events were hurting me and everybody else, because if you had ties, it hit everybody who got tied. So you were losing money, you were losing resources, you were losing terraforming rating throughout the game. It took longer. The whole delicate system was a little obtuse. Not bad, but just certainly obtuse. And I absolutely do not like this expansion at all. I'm sorry I backed it on Kickstarter. I, I had hoped it would be better, but without rule changes, without an errata, 
it's just going to drag the game down much, much further. Obviously, there's additional cards that go to the deck, which usually is a good thing, but here it is a problematic thing. I don't know if I would give this a burn, but as I said, the first emotional feeling I had from you know stepping away from this game after so many hours was I wanted to burn my copy. So yeah, you know what? Turmoil gets a burn for me. Dang. That's All right. right. <laughs> I haven't played my copy yet because just haven't been able to organize a group. I did go through it solo just to kind of learn it. And mm-hmm. the entire time playing it solo, I was like, I didn't know what would happen with that, but it sounds like not good things. So I guess I'm less excited to play it now. At the very least, the idea that you're adding more time to the game is is a real mistake. I mean, the game is very long, and if it was just a flip of the cards that affected every people randomly, that would still be random and problematic. And I appreciate the fact that they went to the lanes for the delegates and everything. It's a really cool idea. But adding time and taking away production, as you said, to build your tableau is a double negative, and that doesn't make it a positive for me. All right, so I want to talk about another expansion I got to the table. We've been talking about this for quite some time. From Mind Clash Games, this is Tricarion, the collector's upgrade pack. I already had the base game from Kickstarter previously, so I needed the upgrade pack. So the upgrade pack came with two expansions and you could have got these expansions separately or you could have gotten the collector's edition and got everything in one box but basically the upgrade version here gives you the big box gives you the trays that come along with the game so this way you can pack everything up nice and simple although they did not include a where to place things and how to pack things up type of situation so uh forgive me i can't remember all the different threads and all the different videos i watched that actually talked about how to pack the game up instead of an unboxing. It was a reboxing. So God bless you all because yeah, that was the thing that should never have been a thing. Just put a sheet in there guys. Come on guys. So yes, the box, the bins are all very good. It comes with some custom pouches where you could put your Dracarion stones. You could put the coins that come along in the game. You get alternative artwork for your game board. So it, now it has a day and night type of situation, which is pretty nice. Beyond that, and I mean beyond the game trays, so to speak, what you're able to put together is the two expansions into the game. The first expansion I want to talk about is the Dawn of Technology. Now, this is contraptions and signature tricks. So at the start of the game, you're going to have your particular magician. And based upon what type of magic you're pulling in, you will get a specific contraption board that gets slid right next to where your carry-on stones are usually kept. And that's going to give you the opportunity to build these contraptions. So you actually have these really nice thick tokens. And the tokens, if you're able to build them, and they're relatively cheap to build, it usually is about one coin. You have to have the carry-on stone there to open that area. And one energy to activate that. And you basically go to your workshop and you put that together. And now you have a special ability that you'll be able to use each round. You'll use it and you'll flip it. And if the carry-on stones are still there at the next round, you'll be able to flip that over. Added to that is the special trick. So depending on what magician you pick, you'll have the opportunity to be able to utilize your special trick. Now, the special trick is like every other trick. But it has a special ability on the very bottom. That's very helpful because Dracarion is a great game, but a somewhat fiddly, clumsy kind of game in some respects because 
there's an endless number of tokens and it's just a little bit like I go here and I do this and I do that and I do that. The signature trick speeds the game up. In a lot of ways, it's like prelude in that way because once you're able to build a signature trick and it gives you that little special bump of, you know, extra to go in the game, you pull out the standard trick from the deck. So no longer that's going to be an issue for you. And now you have something that you could produce for the rest of the game that even if it's at the low level, it's still going to give you something great. So just for that alone, that it has the contraptions that don't add really much more time to the game and the dawn of technology, that definitely gets a buy. I would say that it's an essential addition to the game. Doesn't add too much, but it's definitely worth it. Now, Delgard's Academy expansion. Now, this is really the big part of the expansion that comes into the game. And basically what you're looking at here is a new location board, the Academy. This gets added to the main board. And basically what you're looking at here is a new way to kind of gear up a new character, the protege. Now, the protege is going to be your protege that you're training and teaching all of your magical tricks to. It's a new sideboard. It's a new action disc or worker placement disc that you'll be able to place on the board. So again, just like Prelude in Terraforming Mars, you now have an action marker that you can use in addition to the standard setup. Excellent. But they're very low level protege. So they only have like a one power. So they can only really utilize things at a very low level. But if you go to the academy area, if you send any of your people over there, you have an opportunity to do basically three different things. One thing you could do is you can pick a secret. Now, the secrets are the things that you're teaching your protege. And by teaching your protege secrets, these little kind of little secret tokens, it gives your protege a special ability. So now that token that you had has a special ability. It also, if you build up a second, it becomes more powerful of a token. It now goes from a one to two. If you build three secrets, now it's at a power three. Excellent. And now it also has three secrets that are very unique for that specific protege. And everyone has a shot to get those things. They kind of jump in and jump out throughout the game. The other two parts to the Academy board are also a nice addition to the game because when you play Tricarion, typically you're building very low-level spells at first. And then at some point, you really want to move on to the second and third level spells. So what do you do with the initial spells? Well, here you can go to a training room and actually be able to upgrade your trick. So maybe you can add one Jacarion stone to it, one fame marker, one coin to it. It's not a big bonus, but it gives your trick a little bit extra. So when you do perform it, you're getting that bonus throughout the game. In addition to that, there's also the classroom. So as that initial trick winds down, what you'll be able to do is place that trick in a classroom to be taught to other students. Now, that trick can no longer be played or performed in the big show, but what happens is at the end or at the beginning of each round, so to speak, you will be able to generate the resources from that trick at a slight you know, reduction because it's going to the classroom instead of going to the big show every round. So now you have that, you know, first level or second level trick that you were performing. Now it's constantly being performed in the classroom, generating you resources so you can move on to your higher level tricks without worrying about where you're going to place those other ones. This is a really great expansion. As I said, it gives you just a little bit more 
the protege is well, you know, I guess actually in fact overdue to kind of bolster up what you can do in the game. It comes with four new magicians in the game, which is nice. And it comes with some extra markers, so you'll be able to put things into play. And again, while it was problematic to put everything together, Game Trays did a great job of packing everything together. I had the insert originally, and it was super heavy and super challenging. This is still somewhat challenging, but it still makes a lot more sense. It's a lot easier to carry that giant box throughout the way. So Tricarion, whether you get it in the collector's edition or the upgrade edition, or if you buy both expansions separately, all of it is a buy. It makes the game faster, it makes the game better, and it's, you know, an essential expansion. Yeah, putting that stuff away has sucked. It does. <laughs> I haven't played this yet, so that's all I got, but it sucked. I don't think I've ever spent that long punching and putting away a game. You know, Mind Clash Games does a very good job. I, I I wish I could be there when they create a game because, you know, all of their games is so rich and full of ideas. And I hate to be the one to say, yeah, guys need an editor. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> you, need, you need to go in there and you need to kind of refine this down because there's so many good things to it and there's so many individual little chits and pieces that come into play. And God bless you for doing all those things, but... Sometimes it's got to be managed and slimmed down just so that you can get it in and out of the, you know, the box and to the table. All right, so that's everything that's been hitting our table this week. Let's get on to the feature review. So for the feature review this week, we are taking a look at the world phenomenon that is Marvel. So in this case, we are taking a look at Marvel Champions, the card game. So Anthony, you got a chance to play this. I did not. But maybe, you know what, I'd like to play a game like it until I do. Why don't you actually tell me about Marvel Champions, the card game, and, you know, give us a sense if it's something we want to hit the table. Yeah, you should, because it's great. Uh, but I'll still tell you the rules, even if you don't agree. <laughs> you know, believe me, I guess. Um, so Marvel Champions, the card game, is a game in which every player is going to represent a Marvel champion, one of the heroes of the Avengers, and they're slowly expanding beyond the Avengers. But we have some time until we get that far. So the base game comes with five different heroes. Uh, we have Captain America's an expansion, so he's not in there for some reason. But we do have Iron Man, we have Spider-Man, we have Black Panther, She-Hulk. Um, all these characters are in there, and they each have their own unique deck. And each unique deck has character cards, some basic cards, and then like a leadership or justice or vengeance type attribute that represents cards. So... They've streamlined the deck building from, like, other types of games. Um, again, that initial lineup is kind of wonky <laughs> in terms of who's in there, in terms of the Avengers, but they are releasing all those characters as we go along. So the core gameplay is fairly simple, especially if you've played another LCG with its 35-page rulebook. This one's very short. It's very direct. It's, like, eight pages long. The basic idea of the game is you have a hero. They have two sides. They have their alter ego and their hero side. Every round on your turn, you can flip them once from one side to the other. You can play cards. You can use basic powers that are printed on cards, or you can ask other players for help. You can also use the allies you've already played out, trigger abilities, all sorts of cool stuff. The goal here is to remove threat from the scheme that the villain puts out and ultimately defeat the villain. So it's kind of a push-pull balancing act of 
keeping the threat down on the scheme so the villain doesn't win, because if they progress their scheme all the way to the end, and sometimes there's multiple cards there that each require a certain amount of scheme, then you lose. And if they kill one of you, you lose. So you have to kind of balance those two things. Uh, the What the villain does will depend on what form you're in. So if you're in the alter ego, they're going to scheme because nobody's stopping them. If you're in your hero form, they're going to attack you because you're in their way. The goal of the game here is simple. It's to defeat the boss, right? There's not really a story mode like a lot of the other LCGs. There's not a ton of depth there in terms of like exploring different comic book arcs, at least not yet. There's rumors that that is coming down the line. But at the moment, it's just you have a villain like Rhino or Ultron or what the first expansion was Green Goblin. And you just try to beat them and all the various things that come out of there. <clears throat> so that's the basic gist of the game. And there are lots of games that have similar mechanics, but none of them are quite as streamlined and focused as Marvel happens to be. All right. So let's talk about the games that we want to get to the table if you do not have or you already do have Marvel and, you know, maybe you want to try something very similar to it or maybe you'd like to, you know, dip your toe into the whole superhero universe. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us first? Yeah, first thing on the list is the most obvious because if you like this game and its mechanics, you should play the games that it is based on. Uh, the original game is The Lord of the Rings, the card game. This came out in 2011, so it's been out for almost 10 years now. Designed by Nate French. It has, I don't know, 80 some odd expansions at this point. But the core idea is fairly similar. You have heroes representing various parts of the Lord of the Rings universe. And they each represent one of three different types of uh, power that you can generate. You build your deck around those three different types. You have three different heroes. And then you try to defeat an encounter deck that represents different types of enemies. So it's much more complex, but it's kind of the proto version of what we see in Marvel. And if you like Lord of the Rings and you like this idea of like a cooperative uh, card game in which you're fighting like a big boss, this is a great one. It has a little bit more uh, story elements to it than um, Marvel does because of the Lord of the Rings uh, mythos. But it's pretty combat oriented in terms of mechanics if you really really want the story elements though then i would recommend that you go with arkham horror the card game which is based on lord of the rings again as the original game this one came out in 2016 and it is again by nate french along with matthew newman and it implements a lot more storytelling so this is the first like truly truly cooperative take on the lcg and it is campaign-based, so things that you do in one game will carry over to the next. It doesn't matter if you lose. There are different paths for each of these uh, adventures that you go through that if you lose, then you go this direction. If you win, you go this direction. You don't have to just redo it over and over again like you would in Lord of the Rings or in Marvel. And the story is very much a part of the game. So if you really, really want narrative and you don't mind or if you actively like Arkham and, and that Cthulhu Mythos, then I would recommend Arkham Horror, the card game. And to date, this is like the one that people consider the best of the bunch, especially because there's a ton of content for it. So those are the two that I would tell you to start with. If you like Marvel, give these ones a go. All right. Well, I'm going to forego the obvious here, and that would be probably legendary, the deck building game, because it's been out there for so long. It's based in the Marvel Universe. It's all about building up your team. 
It's semi-co-op, which is weird, but it has so many of the different expansions for it. It's definitely something that you've probably seen at the table at some point, or at least seen someone sleeve several hundred cards in order to get to the table. I'm going to talk about a game that you probably don't know about or probably may dismiss, but it's actually a pretty decent Marvel game. This, this is Munchkin Marvel. So what we're looking at here is, in some ways... Very similar to Munchkin. Now, if you've never played Munchkin before, where have you been? Because Munchkin's pretty much the standard by most entry-level gateway games go. So basically, you're going to be flipping over a card that's the door card. You're going to see which bad guy or thing might be on the other side. And then you are going to fight the bad guy. So what's really interesting here is they went all out. And I really do like the artwork here. It's not super cartoony, but it definitely has... A slight cartoon vibe, but a really kind of mature cartoon vibe. And I think that's really important for Marvel card games that they have that kind of good entry gateway kind of level to it where it is somewhat serious but approachable at the same time. So you're going to get all your monsters. You're going to basically get your red skulls, your, you know, big baddies, so to speak, you know, your cosmic baddies like Thanos and such. And as you beat these people up or knock them out, you're going to be able to get, you know, loot. So you'll be able to get, you know, really fantastical weapons like uh, Thor's hammer or, you know, Ghost Rider's chains and things like that. Again, doesn't make super thematic, you know, sense as far as the things you're picking up. But basically, you're, big, you're picking up your particular character with a whole bunch of stuff. So think of like a crossover what-if type of universe where you're basically fighting everybody. And the first person to get to 10 wins the game. And typically you're going to get to 10 by knocking out the bad guys here. What's really great about this game is it's at a low price point. So the super legendary Marvel thing is super expensive, especially with all the different add-ons and expansions. This has a low price point for it and has two expansions. It has a Mystic Mayhem expansion. So basically, you're looking at the Defenders. You're looking at Doctor Strange along with, you know, your Defenders people. So anybody who's interested in that kind of universe, the ground universe with just, you know, Doctor Strange thrown in there is up for it. And it also has Cosmic Chaos. So basically, you're looking at Guardians of the Galaxy with Nova in there as well. So again, it has a wide variety of different bad guys, a wide variety of different good guys that come into play. And all of their specialty stuff. Really simple to play. It's a good gateway game. You could definitely play with the family and enjoy it pretty much with everyone. That is Munchkin Marvel. All right. Next one up on my list is Thanos Rising Avengers Infinity War. This is a relatively recent game. It came out around the release of Infinity War back in 2018. The first of the uh, two movie conclusion to the uh, big long Avengers saga. And it is movie-themed, so it has photographs and images from the 10 years of Avengers movies and Marvel and everything else. Um, but basically the idea of this is you have Thanos and all of his villains, and you're trying to defeat them. So it's cooperative. It's dice and card-based. So you're going to be recruiting different cards. Each of those cards will allow you to roll different types of dice. And then each of the cards that you can then recruit require certain types of dice to recruit. There are also certain dice requirements on the villains that you're trying to defeat. So you're trying to build up enough of a team that you roll enough dice that you do enough damage to take out these various villains. The goal of the game, defeat Thanos, 
save everybody. Ultimately, though, more often than not, you will die. But it is a family-friendly game. It's on the lower end of the weight scale, about a two. My kids like it. And it's surprisingly not that bad. They've reskinned it into a couple different IPs. I think there's a Harry Potter version. There's a Star Wars version. And what at first looked like a movie tie-in throwaway ended up being a fairly good game that I've kept on my shelf. So if you like Marvel for, you know, based on the movies, or if you like the cooperative nature of the card game, and you're looking for something similar in that ballpark, especially if you want to share it with your family, uh, Thanos Rising is a good place to go. All right, so when we're talking about superhero games, if you ever listen to this podcast going way back when, we've always been talking about Sentinels of the Multiverse from Greater Than Games. Sentinels of the Multiverse, if you haven't played it, is a really unique, fantastic superhero game. And in my opinion, it really does the best job of depicting a superhero amongst other superheroes dealing with those crazy environments and those super thematic bad guys that you have to knock out and, you know, working together along with your teammates and having your own kind of comic book style and you can play it any way you want. And basically it comes down to a deck of your own cards. This has been around for quite some time. I think it goes way back to 2011 and it has close to about, I would say, depending on if you're counting the fan expansions, about 50-something expansions if you throw in every promo and every upgrade expansion. So you get to pick your comic book character. The games itself have a thematic arc that plays out through all the different expansions from beginning to end. So as you're playing that, you're following a hero's journey through all the ups and downs, all the tragic you know, mishaps, and you're able to pick up, you know, just the villains or just the heroes that you like. This is a game to collect. This is something that if you put together all the pieces here, it is certainly a lifestyle game. It's certainly something that you can have endless amounts of fun with. It's just not a solid IP that you will recognize off the bat, but it's definitely something to get to the tables, that's Sentinels of the Multiverse and its infinite number of expansions. All right, last one for me, and this is on the DC side of things. I know we're talking a lot about Marvel, but, you know, superheroes be superheroes, right? This is Batman Gotham City Chronicles. This is a reskinning of Conan, but with a whole bunch of new stuff added to it from Monolith, which means two massive overstuffed boxes of content that cost literally hundreds of dollars to play, but very, very solid gameplay in those boxes. The core idea of this game is that you have a team of people playing different heroes from the Batman universe, facing off against one of Batman's iconic villains. The villain has a very unique comp command board, I believe they call it, with different characters and villains that they control, each of them costing a certain amount of energy. They move them down the line and activate them in, as they come up, right? It's the system from Conan, but in the Batman universe. And in my opinion, is the really, honestly, the only good one versus many system I've ever played that actively enjoyed. It just wasn't kind of bogged down by rules and mechanisms and feeling like that one person was either having more fun or way less fun than the rest of us. The heroes are going to play, obviously, Batman or Robin or Batgirl or all these different characters in the Batman universe. There are quite literally dozens <laughs> that you can get. And 
they're going to move around similar to what you'd expect in a game like this. They're going to move around, roll dice, attack things, try to generate energy, pick up weapons and different items and do various cool things. But they have limited amounts of energy. And if they get damaged, that energy moves into the wound area. And eventually they'll be out of action while they recover. So you have to manage the damage you take. You have to manage the actions you take based on your own strengths. And ultimately try to defeat the villain in the context of the way the game plays out, which is different every single time. So this is a really fantastic take on the semi-cooperative superhero genre, um, which we're kind of talking about here. And if you're looking for a situation in which one person gets to play the villain and try to defeat all those heroes, Batman Gotham City Chronicles is one of the best implementations of that and highly recommended. Well, on the same side or same miniature side, so to speak, but on a much, much smaller level is the Funkoverse strategy game, the DC four pack. So looking for another superhero game, but maybe a little more DC than Marvel, at least until the Marvel Chibis version comes out from Simon games, you can play with Funko characters. So you probably already own some Funkos or know about them. This one kind of, you know, revisions what Funkos can do. And basically what they're doing in here is a very light skirmish game. I wouldn't say it's a strategy game so much as it talks about here. It's more of a, you know, you get to run around with your favorite characters. And in the four pack, you get Batman, of course. You get Batgirl, you get Joker and Harley Quinn. And basically you're trying to meet certain strategic conditions in the game or basically whatever the end goal is. You choose your characters, you take your two actions. There are basic actions like move and challenge, which is going to be kind of an attack situation. And then there are special actions using abilities and using items. What's innovative about this game is that as you play your special abilities, you'll be using these tokens. And then it takes a while to kind of recover from that special ability in order to be able to use those tokens again. And there'll be opportunities to actually use some characters to assist other characters throughout the game. It really has a great look to it, obviously, because of the Funkos. The boards are pretty decent. It has some tokens that you can play around with. But I think what's also interesting about this game is it brings in a lot of the other genres, almost an endless number of genres here. So you'll be able to play with the Golden Girls, Rick and Morty. As we mentioned, I think, previously, there's going to be a number of other expansions coming later on. So whatever you could possibly imagine, which is the Harry Potter universe you could throw in here or such, you'll be able to play it in this kind of superhero, beat the bad guys, meet the conditions. It's a generally fun game, and it's definitely not the cost of the monolith game. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. <laughs>